this uh, this morning I'm going to continue ministering on the series that we've been talking about. Jesus makes seven I am statements in John's gospel. And John's gospel is unlike the other synoptic gospels. Jesus is making these declarations. They're, they're just absolute uh, powerful dynamite statements that he's making in the presence of multitudes at times. And it's just an ongoing revelation of who he is and the purpose of why he came. This this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus being the true vine. He says in John chapter 15, so if you want to turn there, I am the true vine. But there's some powerful things that he's saying, and for us to kind of unpack that and to receive it into our lives, I believe it's going to be a blessing to all of us in Jesus' name. Amen? So on last Wednesday, uh, we were talking about the, the door or the gate. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the gate. And we talked about how it's so important for us to be like Jesus and leading people, to be like Jesus and ministering to people and loving people. And we've been made to be like him. We've been made and created to follow him and to do what it is that he's asked us to do in the scriptures. Did you know today, and this may be elementary for some of you and whatever, I apologize, but it's still good to repeat it. Did you know today that the work of God is not finished in the earth? And he's do- Did you know today that the work of God is not finished in the earth? And that he's doing it through us. Jesus has deputized us to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to recover sight to the blind, cause the deaf to hear the lame to walk. Amen? So the work of God is nowhere near finished in the earth today. Praise God, that gives you and I something to do. So instead of waiting for our opportunity or waiting for a time to come, bless God, we need to be asking God, open our eyes to see all the opportunities that are around us. I'm not going to wait on you to bring someone to me. I'm going to lean on you, trusting that you'll reveal to me the field of harvest that is white and ready to be reaped for you. Amen? So he's still moving and functioning and operating this kingdom in the earth, and you and I are awesomely a part of it. And uh, praise God, there are some that believe that the angels will preach, and that's not biblical. And there are some that believe that we're not supposed to share our faith, and that's not biblical. And for us to really find out what our purpose is in this life, we need to come into context, or the purpose of us being created was to fellowship with God, to walk in relationship with Him, amen, and then to shine His light and His love and His life He said, I am the light of the world, amen, just days after the Feast of Tabernacles and the lighting of the barrels of oil in in the the court of women in the temple, where the whole entire city street and the whole entire synagogue would be illuminated with this glorious light to show the, remind the people of God of God's presence in the wilderness with them, the cloud by day and the fire by day by night. And then Jesus just days after says, I'm the light of the world. It's me. (laughs) I'm he that was in the wilderness leading all the people. I'm the one who was going before them and guiding them and protecting them. Jesus made some very exclusive statements. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we unpacked that statement, and we talked about the arguments that come up and arise when people say, well, don't you think that that's a little short-sighted and narrow-minded? Uh, it's not my opinion. I'm just quoting what Jesus said. He's the one that said it. I believe it and walk in it. Amen? But think about those terms of exclusivity that you can only go to the Father if you come through me. Every other way is going to fail you. 
You can't come to him any other way but through the blood of Jesus Christ. And people talked about, and, and I'm just doing a recap and a review, but people talk about, well, what about all those people that are sincere? What about those people that really believe that their way is true and their way is right? And I made this analogy that if I were to have a headache today, and I said, I'm going to take Tylenol for my headache. And I went to the medicine cabinet, and there was no Tylenol in the medicine cabinet. But there was some recon in there. And I sincerely believed that the poison to kill that mouse or rodent would solve my headache. How many know I get a rude awakening? Just because I'm sincerely believing something does not mean anything. Amen? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And then we drew an analogy of a teacher. And just because we have a multiple choice question, just because there's a presence of, of other options doesn't change the validity of the one true answer. They may say that you can get to heaven many different ways. And just because there are other options on the test, there's only one answer that's right. Amen? Jesus himself said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And I'm the life. This, this statement that he made about being the true vine, it's just as aggressive. This religious picture of Jesus just kind of barely touching earth, kind of hovering around in a little robe. That, that just is not the Bible Jesus. Amen? That's not who he is in the book. And he stands and, and makes these declarations and these statements, and they're in the face of the people who are there. Jesus, on purpose, came to a religious system and took a proverbial bomb and threw it right in the middle of the crowd and said, let's see what this does. Jesus was an instigator. There's hope for me. <laughs> I, I've been known to stir it up a little bit, tiny bit. So Jesus is saying in John chapter 15, verse 1, I've been waiting for you to get there, so I'm going to just go. I can't wait any longer. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now listen to these words. These are the words of Jesus Christ, Amen. Now, I understand if you're in, in a seminary or a theological student, I understand the, the context that we're still in the Old Covenant in the Old Testament here. But just because the covenant is old or the covenant is new, God still views unfruitfulness the exact same way that he did in the Old Covenant. Someone say, amen. God still views sin the same way. He still views drunkenness and idolatry and adultery and so on and so forth the same exact way that he did in the Old Testament. But praise God, grace has entered into my life and he doesn't judge me, condemn me, and destroy me because of my shortcomings. But I'm still required to find out what it is that he likes, amen, what's pleasing to him. I'm not talking about works to get saved. This totally not even in the conversation. I'm talking about living righteously before God, walking humbly before God as a means of being pleasing to him, not being accepted by him. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that causes you and I to be accepted 
by God. But our righteousness, walking out the things that He's put in the Scriptures, our right living, that's on us. And that causes God to to be pleased with us. And whether or not this is popular or famous, it still doesn't change the reality of God's Word. There are benefits and blessings that are attached to us being obedient to the Scriptures. People say in this age of grace that we live in, this dispensation of grace, it doesn't matter. It's a free-for-all. I can do what I want and say what I want. That's just not biblical. And we end up not having the provision and the promises of God functioning in our lives. And then we say, well, I don't get this. This stuff isn't real. This this is is too old. It doesn't work. Instead of having humility and saying, well, I probably could have zigged over here instead of zagged. I probably could have gone up instead of down over here. Maybe if I would have done some things that the Lord told me to do in the Word and tried with, with the power of His Spirit to help me do those things, maybe I'd have the blessing, the peace, the joy, the strength. I'm preaching awful good this morning. Amen? This is not a free-for-all just because grace is entered. Amen? We don't live under the law. I, I, do, I thank God every single day of my life that I do not live under the law. Thank God I don't live under the law. I'm free from it. But I'm not free to do my own thing. I'm free to follow Jesus Christ. It's one thing for us just to believe in him. It's something totally different to begin to follow him. And he asks us to follow him. He asks us to follow him. Amen? Jesus looked at a crowd of professional fishermen, and he said, follow me. Come and do what I do. Walk with me and talk with me and fellowship with me and be with me. Come, follow me. I'll make you, I'll turn you into a fisher of men. So there's a, there's a blessing attached to our obedience. Amen? Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is pretty simple. I am the vine, verse 5. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. The second verse says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch, he says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So for us, this can categorize us today. Are we in the vine? Are we a branch that is not bearing fruit? Are we in the vine? Are we a branch that is bearing fruit? Did you know, according to 15 verse 2, if you are walking with God and you are already bearing fruit as the gardener, as the vine dresser, He is going to, not not you, He is going to begin to prune things out of you and away from you in your life. For what? So you can bear more fruit. People start doing things for God and they're like, man, the the desires or the appetites or the passions that I used to have, it's like, I don't want to watch this TV program all day long anymore. I want to just go be around people and love on it. I don't want to sit around on Facebook for 17 hours of the day and find out whether or not someone used the bathroom today. I want to go and, and help somebody and shine the light of Jesus and give bread to men who are starving and blind eyes, both naturally and spiritually, 
being opened. God begins to prune things in our life. God does. Not the devil. Not you. God doesn't need your help in this. <laughs> we get so eager to want to be used of God that we start saying, I'm not going to ever eat a pizza again as long as I live. You liar. You're going to have a pizza again, of course. Why wouldn't you? Pizza's the greatest thing. As you can tell, I've partaken a couple of times. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch, verse 6, and is withered because we're not plugged into the life source anymore. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire. Can you really take this to the bank? Does he really mean this? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you desire. That's in your book. That's in your book. What's the prerequisite? Being perfect and being holy and being, uh, as, as religion would call it, a saint. Well, let me give you a, a, a helpful truth. There are either saints or sinners, period. If you're born again, the Word of God declares that you're a saint. If you're not born again, the Word of God declares that you're a sinner. So you're already a saint. You don't have to be perfect, but if you abide in him and his words abide in you, you can ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. And by this, my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Jesus makes this declaration to the, to the people of God, the Israelites, the, the Jewish nation there, the religious leaders, and he says, you know, I know that Scripture says concerning you forever, according to the word, that you're the vine of God. That's what the Bible says concerning the people of God. We'll see a few Scriptures today. There are many, many, many. And here Jesus is saying, I know what the Bible says about you, but you're not the vine. I'm the true vine. Can you imagine how irritated these people would be? Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 2, if you would. The reality of them being the vine, it symbolized their connection with God because they were God's own people. But the Bible boldly declares that they kind of messed that up and not kind of. Jeremiah chapter 2, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 20. He says, long ago, verse 20, you refused to obey me as an ox breaks its yoke. You broke the ropes I used to hold you and said, I will not serve you. In fact, on every high hill and under every green tree, you lay down as a prostitute, verse 21. But I planted you as a special vine, as a very good seed. How then did you turn into a wild vine that grows bad fruit? Then these powerful words come through God, from God, excuse me, through the prophet of God. He says, although you washed yourselves with cleanser, although you washed yourself with lye, although you've washed yourself with soap, you've used much soap, I can still see the stain of your guilt. I put you on this earth to be my vine in my garden, 
to fellowship with me, but yet you refused to do it my way. You broke the ropes, the chains that were there to help you and to keep you in relationship and help you and keep you in fellowship with me. You clean yourself. You use cleanser. You use soap. You use lye. You try to do it on your own, and God says, it doesn't work. I can still see the stain of guilt on you. Why? Because like we sang today, the only thing that can wash away my sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. No soap, no cleanser, no lye. You can't bleach it out. The only way to be white is to get into the red crimson flow of the blood of Jesus Christ. That life-giving flow, that life-giving source of, of, of God's love and his grace and his mercy. And he says that you can be like scarlet. Though your sins are like scarlet. I'll wash you and they'll be white as snow. Here the people of God, they're trying to do it on their own and he makes this statement to them that, you know, I can still see your dirt. I can still see your failure. And I don't believe that it's God wanting to uh, fault find with humanity and I don't believe that it's God wanting to be mean and rude and judgmental or angry it's just a practical reality that unless you're cleansed by the blood of jesus christ you're not cleansed this pans out in the in the book of hebrews where the bible says that those who came the 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 king james version says the comers or the worshipers those who came into the temple to worship god would they they would come before the the altar as far as they could go and bring worship and there was a constant reminder of their guilt and a constant reminder of their shame and there was no remission for the guilt no wiping away the slate and making it clean again it only comes through the blood of jesus christ so again this claim of exclusivity he says i am the only way i'm the only way amen the amplified version says though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap your iniquity and guilt are still upon you you are spotted dirty and stained before me says the lord we can't do it on ourselves. Isaiah says that our own righteousness is just filthy washing rags compared to his righteousness. Did you know that the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is a free gift? The Apostle Paul's talking in, the, in his address to the church in Rome, and he talks about Adam's offense, and then he parallels Adam's offense with the righteous gift, the free gift given to us in Christ. It's free. Right standing with God is nothing that we can earn. (laughs) Praise God. He did all of the heavy lifting. He did all of the work. And he said on the cross, it's finished. The sacrificial system for man to offer up blood of a bull or a goat is finished. He, He wasn't talking about his work. It was just begun. He was talking about this sacrificial system, this approach to God through the blood of an animal is finished. I am the Lamb of God. Amen? Praise God. Offered up his own blood. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. Again, God speaking to his people. He says, the vineyard of the Lord's house. 
The vineyard of the Lord's house is the house of Israel. He says, the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. Now listen to this statement. I think it's important for us to pay attention to the words that are being used. How about you? He says, he looked for justice, but behold, he saw oppression. He, he looked for righteousness, but behold, he saw a cry for help. The New Century Version says, The vineyard belonging to the Lord all-powerful is the nation of Israel, the garden that he loves, the people of Judah. He looked for justice. There was only killing. Interesting. He hoped for right living. He looked for right living, but there were only cries of pain. He says, I used to love you. You were my chosen vineyard. I mean, he says, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. But they did something. And Jesus says to them, I know that God's talked about you in the past and said that you were his vine, but you're not. See, the false doctrine of dual covenant theology that's in the earth today that says that Jews are saved because they're Jews and Christians are saved because they're Christians is a damnable heresy. Unless you come through Christ, you do not come to God. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Question, who is he saying that to? Jews. He was saying that to Jewish people. I don't hate Jews. I don't hate Jewish people. I love Israel. I'm for Israel. I'm not an anti-Semitic. I believe that God had a purpose and a plan for them. But Jesus himself is saying, and I get this all the time with people. I say, well, yeah, but. Well, Jesus is saying himself, you used to be the vine. You're not. I'm the true vine. Who's he saying it to? Jews. He's telling Jewish people, you used to be pleasing. God says the same thing to the people of God through the prophets. In Isaiah, he says again, the nation of Israel. This is the New Living Translation. The vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah, his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. Jesus was making a very, very, very pointed, factual statement. And he didn't measure the crowd to make sure it would be politically correct. These are claims of exclusivity. You cannot have a relationship with your Father, your God, unless you come to him through me. Keeping the law, keeping the Sabbath, Sabbath keeping the, the, the feasts, keeping all of the, the offerings for sin and whatnot, those things are going to do you no good. You can only come to God through me. Amen? So in, in this passage, and we'll look at these scriptures again, but in this passage we have three very, very, very important things that we need to look for and that we need to pull out. One, we have a principle. And that is, Jesus is saying, you have no hope outside of me, of coming to God. 
It's just a reality that if you want to have connection to God, you have to come to him through my sacrifice that I'm about to offer. He's telling the Jewish people, he's telling us today the same thing. I'm your only hope. The second thing that we need to look at, and that's I'm the true vine, every branch in me, so on and so forth and so forth. The second thing for us to look at is there's a warning here. There's a warning for us. There's a warning for the people who read this book. If you're not connected to the true vine, you'll be cut off from the Father. That's just what he said. Look at two again. Every branch in me does not bear fruit. He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more. It's so important for us to understand that in the face of all the religious activity that seems to be happening in the earth today and and you see things happening, (laughs) Jesus says, you're not connected to the Father based on the group that you belong in, the club that you associate with. You're You're not connected to God. You don't have connectivity to the Father based on the denomination you attend. I'm not against denominations, not, not, not at all. But that doesn't get you connected to God. In the midst of all this religious activity and this awareness that's coming and going in, in the earth today, Jesus still is saying that it doesn't matter how good you are. doesn't matter how good your deeds are. It doesn't matter how much you gave to this foundation or to this fund. It doesn't matter if you're just a a nice guy, a good person. That's all religious activity. You belong to a domination, good for you. Don't you think for one moment that being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Catholic or a Pentecostal or a... Don't you think for one moment that the church of God in Christ is going to get you saved or the assemblies of God is going to get you saved and somehow you'll find the right group of people and the right club and then you'll have this connection with God. No, the connection with God is available to you today apart from all the religious trappings of humanity. You can simply come to God through Jesus Christ and he's bidding you come. He's bidding us come. Walk with me. Fellowship with me. Amen. And the warning is that if we're not careful, we'll be just like those in, in the book where people boasted from what tribe of Judah or tribe of Benjamin or tribe of Issachar, and it doesn't matter. But yet it was so important to them. I'm, I'm Saul from the tribe of... That doesn't get you connected. Amen. It was so important to them to boast about their tribe, to boast about their heritage. Jesus, again, right to these people, the people... I mean, this is in your face. I said, this is in your face. This is not politically accepted. They, they don't love this. They, there's reasons why when Jesus got done talking, they sought to stone him. There are reasons that the Bible says to us when Jesus was speaking, they gnashed at him with their teeth as to bite him. He wasn't meek and mild and looking to make everybody happy. I'm not saying that that should be your goal, to have people want to stone you. I've met some people that I, you know, whatever. But that's not our goal. We don't want that to happen to us, to others. But we have to lose. We have to, excuse me. We have to lose this religious idea 
this culturally acceptable idea that we're supposed to be politically correct. Saul went into Jewish tabernacles and told them that their exercise in religion was worthless like manure. Well, well, pause. Paul went to their church. Can you imagine a preacher coming here today, standing behind God's holy desk, and saying, all of the things that you do to be close to God, all the practices and all the trappings, they're about as worthless, King James Version says, dung. Literally, in today's language, I don't mean to offend, the preacher said, all the things you do to get close to God, they're just, it's just crap. Is that politically correct or not? I'm, I can't remember. Here's the difference. We're supposed to speak words that are mixed with grace. Those words that are mixed with grace become profitable to the hearer. So we don't go and say, you know what, you're in this sin, and so that way I'm labeling you as a this person. No, they're a human who has a sin condition because we all did. Amen? And so we don't want to let, well, you're just an alcoholic, or you're just a homosexual, or you're just a murderer. Or you're just a, No, you may have done something, but what you are is a human. And what you are in the eyes of God, God would wish that none perish. But everyone come. Amen? Praise God. So this warning again, he's boldly declaring that we must come to him. Again, he's saying he's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. He says that if you don't bear fruit, verse 2 again, I want you to see this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, God will take away. And every branch that bears fruit, God will prune that it may bear more fruit. The idea is that we get more of ourselves out of the way and more of the influence of God's Spirit in the way. And He, the Spirit of God, begins to work out the evidential fruit of Him being in control or in charge of our vessel. People think, I've got to do this. And if I do this and work and work and work and work and work, then I'll get to the fruit of the Spirit. Wrong answer. That's not how it works. That's not what the Bible says. It's not scriptural. The whole idea of fruit is, I'm not going to do my own thing. I'm going to listen. I'm going to obey. Instead of getting angry, I'm going to listen. I'm going to wait. I'm going to hear from you. And I'm going to execute righteous living. I'm going to be wise. I'm not going to come flippant at something. I'm not going to be impatient and anxious and worrisome. I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to be patient. Why? Because I'm choosing to allow the Spirit of God to live His purpose, to live His plan out through this, His vessel, out through this, His temple. Amen? It's not a working in ourselves to attain to spiritual fruit. It's removing our own will and saying, yours in my place. You do what you want to do. Speak to me and through me and use me to bring glory to you. Amen? So again, he says that in the second verse, he prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. The idea is bearing more fruit. Then he says, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. 
for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered because he's disconnected from the vine, the life source. And they gathered them and throw them into the fire. There's a warning there. But you know what? This, this is my favorite part of, of the message today. The third thing that we need to take from this passage is that there's hope here. There's hope here. Because the Bible says to us, Jesus is making this declaration that the Father himself takes on the personal responsibility for caring for us, for nurturing us, for cultivating his life and his spirit in us. That's what he said. So the hope for you and I today is that we can just let go of our own life and surrender to him and say, I'm, I am yours. Love came down and rescued me, and as a result of it rescuing me, I'm yours. He takes on the personal responsibility to care for us, to nurture us, to cultivate his life in us. The Father is the one who's planted us. He has promised to prune away these things in our lives that cause us not to bear fruit. Amen? Again, we see the fruit of the Spirit flowing in our lives and functioning in our lives because we're connected to the vine, not because we're a better Christian than somebody else. I'll say that again. We start to see the fruit of the Spirit flowing in our lives because we're connected to the vine, not because we're a better Christian than somebody else. Amen? It's God's responsibility to develop His fruit in us. It's God's responsibility to develop this fruit in us, and it's our responsibility to abide in him and allow his words to abide in us. We have a responsibility, but God has a responsibility. Amen? And so the question for you today in close is, are you willing to yield to the Father? Will you allow him to prune things away from you? Will you allow him to prune things away from your social life? Just, just in order to be more fruitful for him. How about this? Do we trust him as the master gardener? What happens most times for us is we have a better idea. This is what we think. We have a better idea of how to be God than God does. And so we think, now I'm going to come to you, but there's these things over here that they're persona non grata. These are mine. Don't touch them. They belong to me. But Jesus says that the Father will prune things away from you if you'll stay connected to him. If you're bearing fruit, he'll prune some things away from you. What if, here's a question, what if God knew what he was doing? What, what if he sees the beginning from the end and maybe some of those precious things that you would never want to part with in your life, maybe that might be, just might be one of the things that's hindering you from walking a fulfilled life, bearing much fruit for God. Can we trust him as the master gardener that he knows exactly what to cut and exactly how to cut it? But we also have to understand scripturally speaking that he is not a father who would burn your house down and crash your car and kill your babies and give you cancer. He said in his word that he teaches us and he corrects us with his word. Yeah. 
So we can't come to God and say he's schizophrenic and angry and if I don't just toe that line, he's going to burn my house down because after all, he wants to teach me something. No, he says that the word of God is what teaches us. It's profitable for instructions in righteous living. It's profitable for sound doctrine. It's profitable for rebuke and reproof and correction. That's what Paul said to Timothy. It's not profitable. God is not looking to give you fire or flood. I checked the book, and I actually, like Santa, checked it twice. I don't believe in Santa, by the way. Although I look like him. I don't believe I checked it twice. I've never found God employing the devil. Never have I found God employing the devil to do his work in the earth. Never, not one time ever, have I ever seen God go to Satan and say, could you do me a favor? I got this Christian and they're a little bit of a hot shot. And if you could just give them cancer, then maybe they would learn their lesson and be more humble. Never seen it. Not once. Why? Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Not the bad ones and the good ones. So we have, to, we have to take the religious glasses off and see what the Scripture is saying and walk in a relationship where we actually trust Him as the Master Gardener, that He's not going to cause me to grow and to mature and to be humble by killing my child or giving me a car crash. What's He going to do? In times of intimacy where I'm with Him personally, He's going to speak to my heart. And he's going to say, there's some things that you're doing that they're hindering you from bearing more fruit. And he begins to talk to you and deal with those things in the arena of your heart. I've also checked the book. And this ideology and theology today that God is a God of wrath and he's looking to pour it out just as soon as you tick him off. That is not the New Testament. Thank God it's not the New Testament. I know some Christians that would be in that line. Hello. Thank God he's not pouring out his wrath. He poured out his wrath on himself, on the person of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. And until the dispensation of grace ends until the age of the church ends and either we're raptured away or the Lord comes again the catching away we, we will walk in grace the Bible says that the blood of Jesus has made peace between God and me through the blood of his cross so this, this idea of pruning we, again to, not to labor this point too much but but we have to be careful that we don't think that something bad's going to happen. It's not how he does it. It's not what happens in Scripture. I said that's not what happens in Scripture. But he knows what needs to be removed from me. He knows what needs to be removed from you so that we can be the best us that we're supposed to be. Bearing more fruit, amen? And in those moments where it seems like we're being pruned, 
What is it that we should do? How should we think? What should we say? And I think right in this scripture, there's the hope again. Jesus said, just abide in me. Just stay with me. I'll stay with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm a friend who'll sit closer than a brother. You're going to see me to be the ever-present help in time of need. Just stay with me. When the Lord seems to be working in your life and he seems to be moving you in a direction where, oh my God, I'm going to turn this radio program off or I'm going to change this channel. I'm going to do this differently. It's so important for us to understand, just stay close to him. Just, Just continue to fellowship. Walk in relationship. Don't disconnect from him and his word and don't disconnect from church. Don't don't think that something that's bad that's happening is him. Amen. God's God's gonna move in your life to remove things from you so that you can bear more fruit.